BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Abgenommen bedauert. Bromo Seltzer presents The Adventures of Ellery Queen. bring you another thrilling adventure with Ellery Queen, the celebrated gentleman detective in person. Ellery Queen invites you to match wits with him as he relates another story of a crime he alone unraveled. Before revealing the solution, he stops the play, gives you a chance to solve the mystery. Our guest armchair detectives for this evening are Miss Sonia Bigman, contributing editor of Time Magazine, and Edward Pauley, who plays Steve Wilson on the famous radio program Big Town. And now, Ellery Queen, Master Detective, and your host for the next half hour. Thank you, Ernest Chappell, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight's case will really test your mettle as an armchair detective, because I can assure you it had us thinking hard. It's about a man who could disappear almost at will. I call it The Adventure of the Vanishing Magician. <laughs> You are, Mr. Forsyth. Oh, dear, my dinner will be ruined if that husband of mine doesn't get home soon. You'd think after tw- 20 years of married life, a man would get to know this fairy would get dry. You were crying, Mamie, and it wasn't about Hal or the spare ribs. Now, you go back in the parlor, Forsyth, and read your variety and billboard while I see if I can't save my dinner. You were crying about the house, weren't you, Mamie? Yes. Well, we haven't lost the old track yet, Mamie. <laughs> now, stop crying. Think of the good old days. Oh, the good old days. What for? We'll never see him again. Oh, don't you believe it. Bonneville's coming back. Yes, sir. Before you know it, you'll be right back in the old five-a-day again. Hal and Mamie Dover, songs and patter. Maybe Bonneville's coming back, Forsyth, but Hal and me won't come back with it. Nor you, nor Avanti. The great Avanti, magician supreme. Filbert Forsyth, quick change artist. Oh, it's old stuff. Passe. They'd laugh us off. Yeah? Well, I'm as good as I ever was. I've kept in practice, Mame. I haven't let the hinges on my theatrical trunk upstairs get rusty. No, sir. 
Remember that quick change act I had? Riley of the New York Finest, where I played all seven parts? Why, it laid him in the aisle. It was corny, Forsythe. Hal and me were corny. Avanti and his magic was corny. We're through, and you know it. Through, am I? I'll show you all, and especially that sarcastic booker who threw me out of his office yesterday. Oh, what's the use? You knew we were through when you, Avanti, Hal, and me pooled our savings 13 years ago to buy this house. Yeah, you're right, Mame. We thought we'd have at least a roof over our heads. Now Oh, we... there's the front door. Hal? Me, Mame. Hal, I thought you'd never get home. Home? Oh, evening, Forsyth. Hal, did you see that pagan at the bank? I saw him. What'd he say, Hal? He busted a gut laughing. Oh, Hal. Uh, so we lose the house, is that it? Next week, unless the U.S. Marines save us in the nick of time. But, Hal, what'll we all do? Where'll we go? Search me. Oh, Mame, oh. stop crying, huh? Over, I told you we did wrong when we mortgaged that house five years ago. And what were we supposed to eat, Forsyth? Your 1929 billboard clippings? Hal, Dover, I'll have you know yeah. Well, now, next week is next week. Right now, we have a dinner to eat. Though heaven knows, Hal Dover, you've done your darndest to spoil it. Now, sit down, both of you. I ain't hungry, Mame. You're going to eat, mister, and we're not going to wait for the great advantage. I'll have the ribs out in the jiffy if they ain't dry as dust. Guess I'm jumpy, Forsyth. Yeah, it's my fault, Hal. It's losing the house and all the money we put into it. Going back to a furnished room. Avanti? Hello, Manny. Hal, Forsyth. Where are you, my friend? Uh, in the dining room, Avanti. Ah, I am late, you know. Hmm. The long, long faces. No luck today, eh, Hal? Sit down and eat your soup, Avanti. Avanti? Yes. Oh, it's about time. Now, now hurry with your soup. Attention. The great Avanti is about to give a performance. Ah, uh, what's he so gay about? Cut the clown on Avanti. I ain't in the mood. No? Then I shall put you in the mood. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if I may have your attention, please, observe. There is nothing up my sleeve. Cut it out, I said. Oh, hell. Hell's on edge, Avanti. Oh, who wouldn't be losing the house? And who says we are losing the house, huh? The bank that's holding the mortgage, you punchy dope. Avanti says it is not so. What? Huh? Huh? Ah, your faces light up, eh? My friends, I have it all fixed. Avanti, we won't lose our house. No, Mamie. And what is more, we shall have enough dough to last us a long, long time. Ah, eh, you're crazy with the cold. That's something crooked. No. It is not something crooked, Forsyth. But Avanti, you ain't serious. How can you save the house? Follow my instructions and have faith. What do we have to do, Avanti? Merely, when the proper time comes to get out of the house for one evening... Leaving it unoccupied. That is all. What are you going to do, burn it down? Well, even that wouldn't do any good. Our fire insurance laps. Now, you two stop. Avanti. Yes? You want us to leave the house for one evening and, and that'll save it? Yes, Mamie. I uh, suppose you'll do it by magic, Avanti. Yes, Mr. Dover. By magic. <laughs> And there, ladies and gentlemen, you have the beginning of our mystery. We'll be back in just a moment to tell you more. But first, Ernest Chappell. I heard tell the other day about a lady who paid her first visit to New York just recently. That was plenty exciting for her, all right. Even though the bright lights aren't quite as bright as usual, there was plenty to see and do. Plenty? I'll say so. I never saw so many people or places at one time in my life. And the crowd. <laughs> yes, indeed, the crowd. Well, after a few days of helter-skelter running around, the lady woke up in her hotel room one morning feeling like this. Oh, my head. Yes, 
A common sick headache. Not unusual when you're on the move more than you're used to being. But was she going to let that stand in the way of seeing all there was left to see in New York? Not on your life. I had headaches in my own hometown, too. And if bromo seltzer could make me feel so much better back home, I guess it would work just as well in New York. So she up and went down to the drugstore, had the clerk mix her a bromo seltzer at the fountain, and... And pretty soon I felt like my old self again. So I went on to see Grant's tomb and the Statue of Liberty just as I'd planned. <laughs> good for you. And good for bromo seltzer. You'll find it's handy to have around, friends. So get a big blue bottle of bromo seltzer tomorrow. And now back to our story. It's two mornings later, the scene, Inspector Queen's office at police headquarters. There's the maestro and Miss Porter, Inspector. Hi, Petey. Come in, you two. Very called to headquarters. That means a case. Is it a case, Inspector? <laughs> it's a case, Nicky, but best if I know what kind. Henry, shake hands with Mr. Vandy, Mr. Steele. My son, Henry, Secretary, Miss Porter. How do you do? How do, you do? do? No. This really isn't a matter for the police, son. The inspector and me thought it was a lot more on your line, maestro. Screwball stuff. <laughs> Sounds interesting, Sergeant. First, I'd better explain, son, that Mr. Steele here is a very wealthy businessman with a peculiar hobby. I thought I recognized you, Mr. Steele. I have read an article about you in a magazine recently with your photograph. <laughs> That's me, Miss Porter. Your hobby's collecting magic tricks, isn't it? Yes, indeedy. I'm an amateur expert in magic. Know more about magic than these fellows know themselves. Eh, Vandy? Mr. Steele, you are the boogeyman of my unfortunate profession. Mr. Steele's a shower-upper, Maestro. These guys make up magic tricks. He figures them out. I see. For years, Mr. Steele's had a standing offer of $25,000 to any professional magician who can show him a magic trick he can't solve in 24 hours. Wonderful. You're sort of a magic detective, eh, Mr. Steele? <laughs> yes, sir. The best of them have tried to collect that $25,000. No one's collected it yet. Mr. Steele's seen through every magic illusion ever invented, Ellery. Mr. Steele will not see through mine. You see, if Andy's taken up Mr. Steele's challenge... He claims he can pull a trick that'll fool even Mr. Steele. Oh, swell. What's your illusion, Mr. Vandy? I shall disappear in thin air. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not new, Mr. Avanti. Houdini made an elephant disappear in full view of a theater audience. I saw the old master do it myself. All disappearance illusions are done with mirrors and apparatus. You won't fool me with one of those moth-eaten tricks, Avanti. But, Mr. Steele, I do not use mirrors or apparatus. Huh? Oh, Avanti, I'll hold you to that. No apparatus, Mr. Avanti? Well, um, but may I ask why you've come to the police? <laughs> It's going to be a case for the missing persons, Bureau, ain't it? <laughs> I wish Mr. Steele to be completely satisfied about the conditions under which my illusion takes place. You see, Ellery, Avanti and some old-time vaudeville friends of his jointly own a two-story brownstone in Chelsea that's in danger of foreclosure. It's one of them old babies, Maestro, and a solid block of attached houses all alike. All alike. And hmm? Mr. Avanti wants to win Mr. Steele's money to save the house? Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Steele, but from now on, I'm on Mr. Avanti's side. <laughs> <laughs> the more the merrier, Miss Porter. Disappear into thin air without mirrors or apparatus? <laughs> no. Mr. Avanti, just how do you intend using the house in this magic illusion of yours? Ah. First, Mr. Queen, I wish the house to be examined from basement to roof, inside and out, to satisfy Mr. Steele that there are no sliding panels, hidden passages, tunnels, or secret hiding places anywhere inside. There goes my solution. <laughs> Secondly, Inspector Queen may station police as guards at each exit from the house to see that I do not escape. As many men as you please, Inspector. On the roof, in the basement, the backyard, at the doors and windows. In fact, I shall be insulted 
if you do not put a veritable human cordon around the house. <laughs> You're sure making it impossible for yourself, Avanti. Ah, that is the essence of the illusion. Finally, I shall enter, alone, in full view of all of you. And you will not find me in the house when you look. I shall have vanished. And then, Mr. Steele, you have 24 hours to solve the problem of my disappearance. Or pay me $25,000. You're crazy, Avanti, but by George, you're on. When will you be ready? Tonight. Well, you gentlemen will have to count me out. I can't touch it. No crime involved. Inspector, please make an exception. Uh, uh, excuse us a moment, gentlemen. Yes, very well, Dad, cooperate no. with Avanti. But I've no authority, son, in a thing like oh, this. Oh, you can find the authority, Inspector. It means so much to Mr. Avanti. Well, the guy's a nutter, a publicity. He's huh? neither. He's doing it for that little group of X five a day or Sergeant. They need that $25,000 to save their house. That's all very true. That'd be a sport, Dad. Play along with Avanti is a favor to me. Well, what'll the big chink say? And he talks three languages. Inspector, please. Well, blast it. All right. Thanks, Dad. Uh, Mr. Avanti... Mr. Steele. Okay, Mr. Queen. I ought to have my head examined, but... Okay, gentlemen. Oh, good. Fine. Avanti, get ready to disappear from that house of yours. Tonight at nine. Do you really think Avanti's going to be able to pull this off, Hal? I don't know, ma'am. I'm hoping. That man Steele must be as crazy as a vandy. Without apparatus, impossible. Why, when I headed the bill at the New York Palace back in 27... Yes, I... yes, we know, Forsyth. You laid them in the aisles, eh? Ah, <laughs> uh, Mamie, Mamie, smile. The house is as good as ours again. Oh, Avanti, please don't miss. Avanti, well, good luck. Avanti, I'm not against you. I... Well, it's just that, well, people get so darn bitter. I understand. And I will not fail you. Come on, you people. You're not supposed to be here, Mr. No. and Mrs. Dover, Mr. Forsyth. Now, according to the agreement, you folks wait in that corner cafeteria till this is over. And don't worry, Mrs. Dover. I have a hunch Mr. Vanny's really going to do it. Oh, I hope so, Miss Porter. Come on, Hal. Okay, and Mr. Forsyth, you get some Avanti will bring the bacon to the house. Now... Are you gentlemen all satisfied? Yes, Mr. Avanti. And uh, where is Mr. Steele? Here I am. Are you ready, Avanti? If you are, Mr. Steele. Hold it a minute. Billy. Yeah, Inspector. Hurry up before the reporters get wind of this. Everything's that, Sergeant. Yes, sir, myself. Uh, Mr. Steele, are you satisfied that there are no secret passageways or hiding places in the house? Well, it's true. I searched it myself. It's okay, Steve. Mr. Steele. I had a department expert look the house over from top to bottom. He says there's no way out of the house except through the regular doors and windows and the roof and cellar. I'll testify to that, Mr. Steele. I look myself. Is the house completely empty now, Sergeant? Well, no. I met one cockroach in there. He kissed me. He was so glad to see somebody. <laughs> that was good for a lab of Tony Pastors. Come on, Billy. How about the police detail? Uh, okay, Inspector. The whole place is surrounded. I've even got eight cops on the roof watching the roof door. Don't worry, Inspector. He won't get out. Okay, Billy. Mr. Vandy, go to it. I shall, Inspector. Now, you gentlemen will please allow me exactly two hours inside the house. At the stroke of eleven, enter. <laughs> and try to find me. 
Really escort Avanti up this stoop and see that he enters the house. <laughs> up the daisy, magician. Brother, you're faded. Uh, best of luck, Mr. Avanti. And I hope we'll not be seeing you. Hey, you'll see him, Miss Porter. Don't worry. In you go, Avanti. Arrivederci. Until later. Watch closely, Mr. Steele. We don't want you saying afterwards it didn't go in. I'm satisfied. He went in. Keep that back of yours against the front door up there, Sergeant. You'll have to lose out of a crack to get by me, Maestro. Well, now for a two-hour wait. Might as well sit down here beside me on this bottom step, Mr. Steele. With pleasure, my dear. <laughs> if a bandy gets out of this house now, he is a magician. <laughs> be exciting. All I've got out of it so far is a bad case of yawns. Isn't the time nearly up, Henry? Uh, yes, Dad. One minute to eleven. Two hours. He'd need two centuries. <laughs> Don't laugh yet, Mr. Steele. Oh, here's Sergeant Beely back. Beely, shake a leg up this stoop. What do the men report? You've made the rounds of the police on guard, Sergeant? Yeah, Mr. Steele. They all say the same thing. The fanny didn't come out. How about the roof, Dad? You men up there in the roof. Yes, Spencer. Everything under control up there, officer? It's exactly 11 o'clock. Let's go in and see. Yes, let's get it over with. Well, well, open the door, Bailey. Okay. Wait, Sergeant. <laughs> I see it now by George. <laughs> the tricky devil. Simple as ABC, too. What simple as ABC, Mr. Steele? Look, Queen. Avanti built up the psychology of his audience. In this case, us. By making us wait out here for two whole hours. Of course he's still in there. But he's hiding in the hall somewhere, and he's waiting for us to come in. So that we'll impatiently rush upstairs? Exactly. Then he'll simply sneak, by, sneak out of the house through this front door we'll have left unguarded. Of course, that may be Avanti's plan, Mr. Steele, but somehow... Well, it is, it won't work. Vini, stay on guard at this front door while we go in. Huh? Don't move a step from this door. Is that what I get after waiting two hours? Okay. Ellery, for goodness sake, open that door. Here we go. Avanti! I don't see him hidden in the foyer down here. No place for him to hide. It's, it's awfully quiet, isn't it? Mr. Avanti! Oh, dear. Well, well, Inspector, where did Ellery and Mr. Steele go? Don't tell me they disappeared, too. They're searching the downstairs rooms, Nicky. Here I am, Dad. He's not down here. Oh, Mr. Steele, any luck? No, he must be upstairs. Avanti, come down out of there. Let's go upstairs, too. Right, Dad. If he's really disappeared, it's the most marvelous thing I ever heard of. Oh, Mr. Steele, what... He's not in that bedroom. A band-aid. Queen, try that room. Right, Steele. Oh, that's empty. I'll try this one. Oh, looks like a study. Oh, not in this not one, either. There. Dad, did you look at the stairs leading to the roof trap door? Not hiding there, Harry. Well, Mr. Steele, it looks as if... No. There's one door we missed. This one. Oh, yes. That's the door to Avanti's own room. And this is where he is. Game's up, Avanti. We've caught you. <laughs> Confounded Avanti, open this door and stop making a ridiculous fool of yourself. You might try the door, Mr. Steele. It may not be locked, you know. No, it isn't. He isn't here. This is the last room. But it's not possible. Wait. That clothes closet. He's hiding in this clothes closet. <laughs> it's empty. My thunder, he did it. But... But he can't have. Mr. Steele, you might be interested in this note I just found on the Vanty's bed. A note? Let me see it too, Ellie. <laughs> what did the little whiz write, son? Gentlemen, 
You may search this house until doomsday, but you will not find me for the simple reason that I am not here. Mr. Steele, you have 24 hours to figure out how I vanished into thin air or failing, pay me $25,000. Signed, the Great Avanti. Listen, Mr. Steele, how many times do I have to tell you Vandy didn't sneak past me at the front door? But he did it somewhere. He got out somewhere. Oh. This is getting monotonous. You still have five minutes of your 24 hours left, Mr. Steele. He didn't get out. He's still in the house. Where, Mr. Steele? You've practically picked the house to pieces in the past 23 hours and 55 minutes. Uh, Inspector, you're sure the police are still on guard outside? They mustn't leave their post yet. You hear me? I don't know why I take this from you, Mr. Steele. But my men haven't left their post since they came on duty last night. Then where is he? I can't understand it. Not a single clue, not one. I disagree, Mr. Steele. You what, Queen? It's really a very simple problem. Don't tell me. Maestro. Yes, Sergeant. I know how Avanti did it. Queen, tell me how. Quick, before my time's up. Delroy Queen, don't you dare. He's supposed to figure it out for himself. You heard the voice of the people, Mr. Steele. I'll give you $5,000 if you'll tell me how Avanti performed this trick, Queen. Chinhorn. Make it ten, Mr. Queen. Ten thousand. You're a chiseler, Mr. Steele. Sergeant, open the front door. We'll wait for Avanti on the stoop. Well, please. I'll make it fifteen, Queen. Hurry. Mr. Steele, I'm beginning to dislike you. You want to chisel these people out of their home when you've lost a bet you yourself made. It's not that. It's my reputation. Hands up. He's lost. Oh. Yes, you've lost, Mr. Steele. Our four ex-Vaudeville friends of one. I want to say, And my here friend. comes the great Avanti strolling up the street. Ladies and gentlemen, you have the mystery. While you try to puzzle out just how Avanti disappeared, suppose we see how our guests are making out. Nikki, will you introduce our guest armchair detectives for this evening, please? All right, Ellery. Our first guest tonight is Miss Sonia Bigman, contributing editor for theater and radio on one of the nation's most important and widely read publications, Time Magazine. Miss Bigman is an avid mystery story fan, and as such, we heartily welcome her as guest armchair detective tonight. Our second guest is a man who, like yourself, Ellery, is tough on criminals. He's Edward Pauley, who plays the part of Steve Wilson on the famous radio program Big Town. Big Town is the inside story of the big metropolitan newspaper, the Illustrated Press. Each Tuesday evening, Steve Wilson, as managing editor, with the beautiful Lorelei and ace photographer Dusty Miller give radio one of its most exciting programs. Ellery? Thank you, Nikki. Miss Bigman, how do you think the great Avante disappeared? Well, I can only think because I'm not, uh, I'm not guessing it at all. The yeah. only thought that, uh, that I can tie up this thing is uh, when Mr. and Mrs. Forsyth or Hal and Mamie Dover were talking about the great Avante. They said he had once played all seven parts in something called Riley of the New York Finest. Mm-hmm. I think he probably got himself dressed up as a policeman and walked in and out all over the place. Mm-hmm. Without being seen? Well, he just joined the cops or oh. something like that. The only other thing is that the only other clue might be that all the houses look alike. Thank you, Miss Bigman. <laughs> and now, Mr. Pauley, how do you think the great Avanti disappeared? Well, Ellery, a managing editor, isn't a detective. Not much good without his staff. <laughs> now, if I can have Lorelei and Dusty Miller and Fletch to help me out, I, I sound like an expert. Well, I'll just have to take the flyer and say that 
I'll string along with Miss Bigman on yeah. her solution. As a matter of fact, I actually have some mental notes here in that direction. I follow pretty closely what she uh-huh. did. Uh, in other words, my mind goes back to the fact that there was a quick change artist involved, and I think that, uh, like a lot of the actual function of these disappearing tricks, is that it happens before we actually think it. Thank you, Mr. Farley and Miss Bigman. We're going to tell you the correct solution to tonight's mystery in a moment. But first, Ernest Chappell has a most important word to say to you. Friends, before you crumple a piece of paper to toss it into the fire, wait half a second and think about this. Waste paper is mighty valuable. America's paper mills need every scrap in order to produce enough new paper and paperboard to make the containers and cartons that are so essential. Now, you'll be doing your country a real service if, instead of burning waste paper or otherwise disposing of it, you sell it to junk dealers, donate it to charitable organizations, or hold it for your local salvage committee. Consult your newspaper for dates of collection. We've got to get our mills back to full production so they can make the cartons for food, the containers for shells, the bomb fins, camouflage paper, dozens of other vital products needed to win the war. Cough up. Now, Mandy, here's my check for 25000 And I still can't believe you did it. My friends and I thank you, Mr. Steele. But you've got to tell me how you did it. I have just paid a lot of money for not knowing. Yes, I think we ought to tell, Mr. Steele, eh, Mr. Vanty? You've solved my illusion, Mr. Queen. Oh, he always solves everything, Mr. Vanty. Gallery, please. I tell you, if you don't, I won't sleep tomorrow. All right, really. Well, our magician went into the house. Two hours later, we searched it, and he was gone. Vanished, as he claimed, in thin air. Yet the reports from the policeman on guard at every exit from the house were that Mr. Avanti had not left. But he did leave, Henry. That's a fact. Yes, sir. Consequently, when your policeman said he hadn't left, they only thought he hadn't. He had. You mean Mr. Avanti got out of the house under the eyes of grown policemen without their knowing it? It's the only possible explanation, Nicky. But how? Well, what was the situation? A house surrounded by police, men in uniform, a couple of dozen of them. Take the roof. Eight uniformed police on guard. Let's consider those eight policemen. Each officer, wherever he turned, saw another officer, another blue coat. The police uniform is a great leveler of personality. And besides, Mr. Avanti cleverly set the time of the illusion at night when visibility is poor. <laughs> and because the roof held the largest congregation of police, I say Mr. Avanti got away by the roof disguised in a police uniform. Oh, sure. What a fool. What a fool. Confirmation? Yes. Mr. Vanty asked for two hours, when obviously a few minutes would have sufficed. Why did he ask for two hours? Because he's a student of human nature, like all magicians. He knew that in two hours, the watching police would be bored, that their vigilance would relax, that they'd start trudging around the roof to keep warm, smoking, chattering, milling about, so that Avanti, watching from inside the roof trap door, merely had to wait for a single instant when none of the eight pairs of eyes was on the roof door, and in that instant slipped noiselessly out onto the roof in a policeman's uniform. And there he was, on the roof at night, just another officer of the law. He might have done the same thing, not disguised. But he knew he'd never be able to get off the roof once he slipped out of the trap door without being spotted. Dressed as a policeman, however, all he had to do from that moment on was saunter quietly about among the eight real policemen, minding his own business, until he saw a chance to slip on to an adjoining roof. Remember, this is an attached house. 
and make his escape from some house farther down the street. <laughs> he may just make the trick possible by insisting on a big police guard. But where did Mr. Avanti get the policeman's uniform, Ellery? There is even a clue to that. We've all been told that Mr. Forsythe, the quick-change artist, lives in the house and his old theatrical trunk is in his room. And what was the sketch Forsythe used to do in the glamour days of vaudeville? He used to play all seven parts in a skit called Riley of the New York Finest. So in Forsythe's trunk, there must have been a New York policeman's uniform. Mr. Avanti, I should like to shake the hand of an artist. No, no, Mr. Queen. The honor is mine. Believe me, Mr. Queen, I am so happy it wasn't you I challenged to solve my illusion of the vanishing magician. (laughs) (laughs) And there, ladies and gentlemen, you have the solution to the mystery. I want to thank Miss Bigman and Mr. Pauley for appearing as guest armchair detectives this evening. We want especially to compliment both of them for their skill in solving the crime. We have for both Miss Bigman and Mr. Pauley a personal gift from Bromo Seltzer, also an autographed copy of my latest mystery anthology, The Female of a Species, and a subscription to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. Hang on now, friends, because Ellery will be right back to tell you about next week's mystery. Meanwhile, you can grab a seat aboard the one and only talking train. Here we go. All aboard. Yes, that's the right track to quick, effective relief from common sick headache. Bromo Seltzer. You see, Bromo Seltzer fights headache not one, but three ways. Bromo Seltzer quickly helps relieve that pain in your head. Bromo Seltzer quickly helps settle upset stomach. Bromo Seltzer quickly helps calm jumpy nerves. Now, you can take Bromo Seltzer while it's fizzing or after it settles down. Use it only as directed on the label for frequent or persistent headaches. See your doctor. But when it comes to common sick headaches, Take a tip from our educated train. Fight headaches three ways. And now, Ellery, suppose you tell us about next week's case. Huh? Sure, Cat, sure, Chappie. Well, ladies and gentlemen, next week, a young lady offers me $5,000 to get back the stolen sum of $3. I can't tell you more. I'd tell you too much. So I'll just caution you to get your thinking caps all shined up next Saturday for the adventure of the $3 robbery. And don't forget the other great Bromo Seltzer show friends, Vox Pop, the show that travels America. Next Monday, Vox Pop starts its 12th year on the air. That's it, its 12th year in radio when it takes you to Halifax, Nova Scotia for interviews with Canadian Navy U-boat fighters. Don't miss Vox Pop next Monday. Consult your local paper for the time and station. Music for the Adventures of Ellery Queen is by Charles Paul. This program came to you from New York. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And now, Ellery Queen, Master Detective and your host for the next half hour. Thank you, Ernest Chappell, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I think tonight's mystery will keep you guessing. It's about a strange chain of anonymous letters. I call it The Adventure of the Mischief Maker.
Put that newspaper down and finish your breakfast. Hmm? Oh, yes, yes, of course, dear. Bloat is jolly good this morning. <laughs> My dear, for an American, you really perform miracles with a bloater. For an American... Hubert Lester, you've been in this country long enough to stop being so patronizing. Now, now, Pet, I wasn't being anything of the sort. I suppose I ought to get down on my knees to you because you deign to marry an American girl. <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way. Married four months. Already you're reading newspapers at my breakfast table. But, darling, I was merely looking up the situation in tea. When Sir Eustace sent me here from London to take charge of the New York branch of Spofford Tea Limited, he, he said to me... Lester, old chap, he Looking said... up the situation in tea, were you? Mm-hmm. You were looking up that movie star's photo, that's what. That hussy with the legs. My love, I just happened to glance at it in passing. Seems to me you've, you've just happened to glance at an awful lot of females, Hubert, since we've been married. Oh, what utter nonsense, my dear. And even if I wanted to, which is rot, of course, you know I couldn't risk the scandal, my dear. I, I'd be given the sack, you know. So Eustace won't brook the least breath of scandal. What about you and your secretary? Me and my secretary? <laughs> that spindle shanks where the beaten antique, my dear. <laughs> now, really, Well, sweet. maybe I'm wrong. Eat your bloater, dear. <laughs> of course, darling. Oh, by the way, uh, what was that letter that arrived in the morning post for you? This letter? That's Mrs. Hubert Lester, 230 Hatton Avenue, New York City. Well, whoever wrote it certainly ought to fix his typewriter. Broken letters, out of line, some all smudgy. Well, who's it from, Pet? Mrs. Lester. Your husband, Hubert, is... I knew it. Huh? I knew it. Hubert just proves it. Proves it? Pro proves what? You it? snake. You worm. You... I, I need to see. But... Here, let me see that. Your husband is in love with his secretary. He's leading a double life. Signed, offend. But, but I, I mean to say that... Shanks, that weather, but, my love, you don't put credence in gossip who don't even sign their names. I scarcely know what my secretary looks like. Oh, I'll bear. Now, darling, I give you my sacred word. Your sacred word. Out of my way, you Judas. But, but, Pet, where are you going? I'm going to Reno. Two-time a respectable American girl, will you? Well, Hubert Lester, I'll get a divorce from you so fast that precious Sir Eustace of yours will think his New York representative was tarred and feathered and boiled in oil. Now, Mr. Plunkett, to meet my son, the secretary, Nicky Porter. How do you do? Uh, Mr. Plunkett came here to headquarters just this morning, Henry. He's back this morning for a report. A report on what, Dad? <laughs> my son's a sucker for screwy cases, Mr. Plunkett. Tell him. Well, Mr. Queen, it's sure a Lulu. Here, read this letter that come yesterday morning. Uh, read it, Nikki, aloud. Goodness, what a bad machine this was typed on. Broken letters, dirty, out of line. Never mind the typing, Miss Porter. Just read it. Hmm. It's addressed to the president of the West Side Bank, 315 Hatton Avenue, New York. It says, Dear Sir, the rent collector for your bank, Ethan A. Plunkett, is a thief. He is stealing rent money on properties the bank owns. Signed a friend. You're the Ethan A. Plunkett this anonymous letter refers to? That's me, Mr. Queen. Well, I'm sure the president of the bank you work for doesn't believe this charge, Mr. Plunkett. He don't, Miss Porter, seeing he's me. He's you. <laughs> Mr. Plunkett's only been posing as the realty representative of the Westside Bank, Nicky. Secretly, Mr. Plunkett's the president. Owns the bank lock, stock, and barrel and all its properties. Protective coloration, Mr. Queen. I got a slew of hungry relatives. If they knew I owned a bank, they'd make a pauper of me in no time. 
Valerie, if Mr. Plunkett owns the bank, how could he be stealing rent money from the bank? Obviously, the writer of this letter didn't know Mr. Plunkett owns the bank. Just tried to get him into trouble. Some prank. That isn't our son. Baby. Come in here. You see, one of the properties Mr. Plunkett owns is a five-family brownstone on the west side. I live there myself, Mr. Queen. Oh, Vinnie. Yes, Inspector. Tell everybody what you found out at Mr. Plunkett's house. Oh, that cockeyed case. You see, Maestro, the inspector sent me over to 230 Hatton Avenue yesterday to see if anybody else living there got one of these letters signed A. Fran. Someone else got one, Sergeant? Yep. One of Mr. Plunkett's tenants and neighbors there is people named Lester. Mrs. Lester's hitched to this Hubert Lester, a British who's been in this country around six months. The playboy type. I mean, he'd like to be. I know. A friend wrote Mrs. Lester that hubby's being untrue to her. On the nose, Nicky. So Mrs. Lester packed up, and now she's heading for Reno. I family have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Plunkett, who are the other tenants at 230 Hatton Avenue? Well, there's Miss Bertha Lamb, an old maid. And a bachelor named Hodge, Lewis Hodge. And a family named Drayton, husband, wife, and 15-year-old daughter. Drayton's a psychiatrist. Mr. Plunkett, Mr. and Mrs. Hubert Lester, Miss Bertha Lamb Spinster... Mr. Lewis, Hodge, Batchelor, and Dr. Drayton and family. I've got it all down, Ellis. Fine, Nicky. Mr. Plunkett, does anyone in the house bear a grudge against you and the Lesters? Mighty funny you ask that, Mr. Queen. My janitor there, Joe's a big sorehead. Pretty tough egg, Joe. Born on Hester Street in New York here. He'd have been a gangster, I guess, if he'd had more brains. What's Joe sorry about, Mr. Plunkett? Well, seems like Joe didn't get Christmas presents uh, enough from most of the tenants, including me. I, uh, <clears throat> it slipped my mind. <laughs> so Joe sends anonymous letters? It's hardly a laughing matter, Nicky. One of these letters has already separated a husband and wife. Yes. Anonymous letters have done a lot of mischief in this world. They've even caused death. Dad, I think we'll look into this. We'll begin by asking Dr. Drayton, Miss Lamb, and Mr. Hodge if they've received letters from the mischief maker who signs himself a friend. And there, ladies and gentlemen, you have the beginning of our mystery. We'll be back in just a moment to tell you more, but first, Ernest Chappell. Oh, for the life of a fireman. Bells clanging, men sliding down poles, fire trucks racing through traffic. <laughs> Nothing but thrills and excitement. Oh, but that's not the way Mr. Thomas Byrne of Elmhurst, Long Island, tells it. He writes, we're called out on the average of twice every day. Some of the fires don't amount to much, but when we get in on a real blaze, then I've got to be quick on the trigger, ready for anything. Besides working under a nervous strain, there are the discomforts of going through heavy smoke and fumes and getting drenched by water from the hoses. Sometimes, after a session like that, I've got a pounding headache. My stomach feels upset and my nerves are on edge. But I can count on Bromo Seltzer to help me feel better fast. A great many of us down at the firehouse keep a bottle of Bromo Seltzer in our lockers all the time. And that's a mighty good idea for everybody. So, friends, tomorrow, get a bottle of Bromo Seltzer for your medicine test. Then the next time you're suffering from a common sick headache, uh, you'll know where to go for quick, effective relief. Back to our story an hour later. The Queens, Nikki, and Sergeant Beeley are standing before an apartment door at 230 Hatton Avenue, New York City. Inspector Queen has rung the bell marked B.V. Drayton, M.D. Suddenly. Yes? Dr. Drayton? Yes? May we see you a moment privately? All four of you? Well, I'm pretty busy. Please. 
Oh. Well, come in. And sit down, please. Thank, Thank you, Doctor. Now, what's the matter? Dr. Drayton, we're investigating a slight case of anonymous letter writers. Anonymous letter? Two people living in this house got anonymous letters yesterday morning. Did you receive such a letter, Dr. Drayton? I... Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Let's see it, Doctor. Very well. Here. Same broken type of line. Smudgy. Typed on the same machine as the other two. Dr. Drayton, your 15-year-old daughter, Sissy, is in serious danger. Take a tip from a friend... Dr. Drayton, why didn't you report this to the police? Your own daughter in danger. Nonsense. My wife was frightened, too, but as a psychiatrist, I'm quite familiar with anonymous letter writing. Really, Doctor? You mean it's a psychopathic manifestation? Very often. We call it anonymous graphomania. It's a form of hysteria. Not a crime or a prank, but an illness. The writer of this letter is probably a neurotic, maladjusted, emotionally unstable individual whom it would be criminal to prosecute. Well, I've handled lots of them. Very interesting, Dr. Drayton. Haven't you found that anonymous letter writers are often of a certain type, age, and sex? Well, yes. What type, then? I'm sure Dr. Drayton's more competent to explain. If it's a case of true anonymous graphomania, why, the writer is often an adolescent. Of which sex, Doctor? I... female. Neurotic, adolescent, female. <laughs> Why is it that every time something bad happens, men blame women? I'll bet just as many nasty boys Nicky, might... Uh, doctor, we'll keep this letter, if we may. I'd prefer... Yes, of course. Good day, Dr. Drayton. Uh, good day. Thanks, Doc. Good day. Sorry. You know what I think? Uh, not yet, Sergeant. So that's letter number three. Dad, let's call Miss Bertha Lamb, spinster, and see if she's got number four. <laughs> Yeah, madam, keep that door open. We're from police headquarters. I bought a ticket to the policeman's ball. I'm not selling anything, Miss Lamb. You let us come into your apartment for a few minutes, I will not. How do I know you're a policeman? What's this painted girl doing with you? Painted Why not? Oh, oh, Nicky. Sergeant, show Miss Lamb your shield. Here. If you want to see the inspector's scissors gold, satisfied? Well, come in. What do you want? Have you received an anonymous letter, Miss Lamb? Anonymous letter? I should say not. Yeah, but... Three of your neighbors have received such letters, Miss Lamb. Mm, well, considering my neighbors, I'm not surprised. You take the Lester's, that Englishman, and his vulgar American wife. She's a nasty woman. And as for her husband, you just let me catch Mr. Hubert Lester making eyes at me. At you, Miss Lamb? Well, he better not. I have the blood of American pioneers in my veins. Uh, what about Mr. Plunkett? That awful gang rent collector. He lives in one of the apartments, so you think he'd see to it my bathroom plumbing sticks. But not Ethan Plunkett. Why, from the way he will spend their money, you think he owns the bank. Yeah, wouldn't you? And Dr. Drayton and his family, Miss Lamb. Oh, horrible people. Mrs. Drayton's an absolute pill. Comes from the Midwest somewhere. Always knocking New York. And Dr. Drayton, they're both from the same hometown. Why, he ought to be rolling pills back where he comes from. And nosy. I don't know how many times he's asked me about my dreams. I can tell him your dreams, Lammy Pie. Painted girl. Uh, Miss Lamb. And that 15-year-old daughter of theirs, Sissy. 
If ever I saw goon in my life, that child was one. Absolutely weird. Very homely. Wears thick glasses, stays home all the time, reading nasty books. I tell you, that girl gives me the shivers. Well, you know, you if you ask her, me, I miss them. the only person in this entire house that could be a decent person's neighbor is that grand Mr. Hodge. So nice. A bachelor, you know, keeps to himself, poor man. So shy. Uh, thanks, you know, I've uh, often wondered uh, well, why... Well, thanks, Miss Lamb. Uh, we've got to be going. But let me tell you about Mr. Hodge. He never throws wild parties. Let's go for Pete's thing. But gentleman, so I know that he would... Well, Miss Bertha Lamb didn't get a letter. Hmm? Interesting. Let's see if our dear Mr. Hart did. Bring Hodges' bell again, Henry. Right, sir. Sorry, where'd you send Sergeant Beeler? Downstairs to best Joe the janitor. There is this Hodge, anyway. Not home. We'll have to come back later, Dad. And I tell you, you ain't gonna. Give me that. Clark, don't get tough, Joe. Hey, folks, look what I found. Billy, what are you doing with that typewriter? Whose is it? Where'd you find it, Sergeant? In a trash bin in the basement when I went down to get this tough mug janitor. I almost passed it up as a piece of junk. Certainly an old baby, Ellery. Think that's the typewriter? No doubt about it, Nicky. This is a machine used to type those anonymous letters. Yes, I do, Joe. Characters out of line. How'd this typewriter come to be in your basement, Miss House? And who are you, Grandpa? Oh, wise guy. Ready? What? I don't know. I've never seen it before. Yes, you do. Joe, did you receive an anonymous letter yesterday morning? What's that? A letter with no name, just signed a friend. I don't get no letter. I'm just the janitor. He's just smart enough to play dumb. Joe, yeah? how'd you make out this Christmas? I'll bet you got oodles of presents from people in the house. Yeah. Presents? Nah, they're all tightwads. That Berta Lamb thing, she gave me two bucks, but not another dime from nobody else. Be a good janitor. Work like a horse. Comes Christmas time? Nothing. Uh, I got a good mind up to collect that garbage. Yes, we heard you appease, Joe. Billy, send this typewriter downtown to be fired. Let's go to some restaurant around here where we can have some lunch and talk this pesky case over. <laughs> Sergeant Bealey back. Phone headquarters, Sergeant. What's your report, Bealey? That's like Ellery figured, Inspector. The boys didn't dig up a single other letter signed A friend anywhere else in the neighborhood. And uh, now let me eat, will you? Only the tenants at 230 Hatton Avenue got anonymous letters. Well, son, with the typewriter found in the basement of the house where the writer tried to dispose of it, and the basement being accessible only to the tenants. Yes, Dad, it means the letter writer is one of the tenants of 230 Hatton Avenue. Think that somebody go to all that trouble just maliciously to make mischief. Well, how do we know? Maybe he's only making it look like crank stuff. To hide some other motive? Could be, really. What's say? There's Mr. Plunkett just walking in. Uh, Mr. Plunkett? Eh? Uh-huh. Oh. Hi, folks. Uh, Hi. Mr. Just come in for some lunch. My bank's just on the next block, you know. Well, find out who's writing those letters, Inspector. We're still working on it, Mr. Plunkett. We haven't even been able to see all your tenants at 230 Hatton Avenue. Lewis Hodge didn't answer our ring. Oh, what do you know about Hodge, Mr. Plunkett? Nice fellow, Mr. Queen. Quiet, minds his own business. I wish all my tenants was like that fellow Hodge. I wonder if he got one of those letters. Hodge? Of course he did. He did? Oh, is that so? Didn't I mention it? Thought I did. Must be getting old. How do you know Hodge got one of the letters, Mr. Plunkett? Because I saw it in his letter box yesterday morning with my own eyes, Inspector. Couldn't mistake that typewriting. Same's on the envelope I got. Then, of course, you don't know what it said, Mr. Plunkett. What's Lewis Hodge do for a living? Nothing right now. 
Fact is, he's behind in his rent. Only last week I said to him, Mr. Hodge, I ain't a man to kick a fellow when he's down. Good Lord. Hurry, what did you jump up for? What's the matter, son? Hodge out of work, behind his rent, facing eviction, received one of those mischief-making letters yesterday morning. Come on, Mr. Plunkett. We've got to get into Hodge's apartment at once. still doesn't answer. Better unlock his door, Mr. Plunkett. But I didn't tell him nothing about evicting him. Had to jog him up, didn't I? Confound it. Can't seem to... Yes, Sergeant, unlock the door. Take the key from Mr. Plunkett. Sure. Nicky, you and Mr. Plunkett better stay out in the hall till we take a look. There right, we are. We'll be right out here. Living room. Empty. That letter on the table. Looks like one of the same crop. It is. Typed on that old wreck of a machine. To Lewis Hodge, this address. Mr. Hodge. The cops are watching you. You can't get away. Signed, a friend. Some friend. Where is Hodge, anyway? That door over there. Must be his bedroom. Yeah, it's locked. we better force it there. On one side, gents. Again? There he is. On the bed. Dead. For at least 24 hours, I'd say. Shot through the left temple. Gun still in his hand. Windows and doors locked from the inside. So it can't be anything but suicide. That blasted letter drove hearts to suicide. Yes. At last, our friend, the mischief maker, has caused a death. Henry. What's up, Dad? Taken us two days, but we finally identified Lewis Hart. Identified him? Well, who was he? An escaped convict serving a life sentence for murder. Born in Cincinnati and was doing his stretch in an Ohio pen when he managed to make a break. He's been holding up in New York. Yeah, his real name was James Lewis Hodgkiss. Escaped convict. Hmm. No wonder Mr. Hodge was such a model tenant. Yes, he must have been at the end of his rope. Broke, afraid he might be recognized and sent back to prison. Hodgkiss undoubtedly lived in constant fear. That anonymous letter saying the police were watching him broke his nerve and took the easy way out. How did the letter writer know who he was? We probably never know, Nicky. May have recognized him from having seen his photo somewhere. Or it might have been a complete shot in the dark. Anyway, we're back where we started from. Who sent the letter that drove Hodge to suicide? Who wrote to Mrs. Lester and broke up her marriage? Who wrote Dr. Drake that his 15-year-old daughter was in danger? Who wrote old man Plunkett trying to get him in trouble with the bank? A friend, Sergeant. Uh, I think it's hopeless. Dad, have you got those letters on file here? Yes, sir. Here. Uh, the envelope's too bad. Oh, thanks. Where are you looking them over again, Cassandra? You've examined them all before, Elliot. Oh, I ought to have my eyes examined. What do you mean? Right. Here it was all this time, and I didn't see it. Didn't see what, Maestro? Look at these four envelopes. Don't you see there's one thing all four addresses have in common? There. What thing, sir? A clue. A clue in the addresses. The same clue. In the addresses? Well, the one to Mr. Plunkett's address to the bank. The ones to Mrs. Lester, Dr. Drayton, and Lewis Hodge are addressed to the apartment house. The addresses are all correct, Ellis. Wait. There's one erasure on each envelope. Right, Dad. And in the same place in each case. Where? Say, that's right. Some typewriter character. One character has been erased just after the house number on each envelope. Between the house number and the name of the street. I wonder what was erased. Can't make it out, son, can you? No, Dad, but I know what was erased just the same. You do? Yes. And that tells me the identity of the mischief maker who wrote these anonymous letters.
Good. Now, let's solve our mystery. Miss Bean, who wrote the anonymous letter? I think Dr. Drayton. And why do you think so? Well, because he hesitated so much in answering the questions and he didn't report his letter to the police force as the others did. Thank you, Miss Bean. Now, Mr. Cusack, who do you think wrote the anonymous letter? I think it was Dr. Drayton's daughter, Mr. Queen, uh, who was described by Miss uh, Lamb as being very weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you think that? Well, Miss Lamb said that she stayed home all the time uh, reading uh, strange books. And I think she probably found access to her father's uh, scientific uh, books and that uh, her imagination started to work. Thank you, Mr. Cusack and Miss B. You'll find in just a moment whether you've solved our mystery correctly. And now, Ernest Chappell. Friends, for United States Cadet Nurse Corps information, write in care of Box 88, New York City. Now, if you can qualify, you'll do your country a great service and build yourself a future through the United States Cadet Nurse Corps. And don't forget the March of Dimes. Send your dimes and dollars now to help fight infantile paralysis. Janitor, 
born in Hester Street, New York City. Mrs. Lester, an American. Hubert Lester, her husband. An Englishman. Right, Nicky. Hubert Lester. In this country, only six months. Not long enough to have broken himself with his English punctuation habit. So I knew it was Hubert Lester who wrote that letter to his wife, accusing himself of being untrue to her. But why, Maestro? Well, Sergeant, obviously Lester decided he'd made a serious error in marrying Mrs. Lester. This was his devious way of getting her to divorce him, instead of giving her the actual grounds which might have caused a scandal and the loss of his job. Then why did Lester send those letters to the other people in the house? Obviously there to divert suspicion from himself. To make the writer seem to be someone of a diseased or disturbed mind, a chronic and indiscriminate mischief maker. I imagine Lester had in mind putting the blame on Dr. Drayton's unhappy, neurotic 15-year-old daughter, type often responsible for anonymous letters. Yes, Lester is a mischief maker in this case, Dad. I'm sure you can dig up some charge to make him pay for it. Seltzer bring you another thrilling adventure with Ellery Queen, the celebrated gentleman detective in person. Ellery Queen invites you to match wits with him as he relates another story of a crime he alone unraveled. Before revealing the solution, he stops the play, gives you a chance to solve the mystery. Our guest armchair detectives for this evening are film star Miss Jean Cagney and Mr. Peter Cusack, executive secretary of the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis. And now, Ellery Queen, master detective and your host for the next half hour. Thank you, Ernest Chappell, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, I'm going to tell you about the exotic adventure of the Scarecrow and the Snowman. One July morning, some years before the war, Dad, Nicky, Sergeant Veely, and I were driving to the rich farm country of the Midwest. Suddenly, we rounded a curve and saw a red barn and a big clabbered farmhouse shaded by elm trees. Sergeant, stop. Uh, what farm, Maestro? We're in the middle of no place. I want to take color movies of this farm. Huh? You and your movie camera, <laughs> Can I shout at that scarecrow over there in the cornfield, son? Oh, swell, Dad. So that's a scarecrow. What do you know? Get that farm in the picture, son. There, Ellery, see? Walking toward the scarecrow. Yes, very nice. Wait a minute. Something's wrong. Yeah. What's he yelling at? Yelling for help, Nicky. Oh. Come on, let's get over there. Uh. Hey, farmer. What's the matter? What's wrong? Why, he's the color of death. It's bleeding. Bleeding. What's bleeding? Uh, scarecrow. What? Scarecrow? It is bleeding. Them rags. That's so kitty. That's our regular scarecrow. And how could a scarecrow bleed? Because it's not a scarecrow, you clerk. It's a man dressed in the scarecrow's duds. Let's get him off this pole. Right. Okay. I got He's been it. tied to the stake by his belt. But how the old fire tarnation did he get here? Don't you know? Oh, easy now. Yeah, that's it, Dad. Badly wounded, Ellery. Unconscious. Hey, you, farmer. Uh, what's this farm? Who are you? This is the Mayfield police. I'm Josh Bullen. I run the police for old man Mayfield. Okay. Where's the nearest doctor, Mr. Bullen? Dairyville Hospital, six, seven miles from here. We'll have to rush in there. Come on, Dad. It's going to be a race with death. That country doctor's certainly taking his time in there. 
Just how was the man hurt, Inspector? Stabbed twice in the chest, Nicky. I wonder who he is. Not an identifying mark on him. Yes, quite a mystery. Mr. Bullen. Yes, Mr. Who lives on the Mayfield farm beside yourself? Well, now, there's me and my wife, Josie Mayfield. We've been married four years now, and Josie's pa, old man Mayfield. It's really his place, but I run it for him. Don't tell me there's no Ma Mayfield, Mr. Bullen. <laughs> it sure is, Miss Porter. Josie's Ma, my mother-in-law. Wonderful woman. Cooks, keeps house, helps out in the fields. Strong as a plowman, Ma Mayfield is. I sort of wish Josie took after her, Ma. Your wife, Mr. Bullen, what's wrong with her? Uh, Josie's been sickly, Mr. Queen. Ever since our baby died. Stays abed most times. Ain't got the strength to crawl downstairs now. Well, say, here's Doc Jenkins. How's your patient? Will he pull through, Dr. Jenkins? Yes, he will. Must be made of iron. I- I'd like to talk to him, Doctor. Can't now, Mr. Queen. He's unconscious. Say, Josh, who is he, do you know? Darned if I do, Doc. Never seen him before. Me neither. Huh. Thought I knew everyone in the county, too. Doctor, I'd like to photograph your patient. I know it. Take his picture? Well, I imagine you'll have to get the sheriff's permission. But it's attempted murder. Henry, take your photo. And, Doctor, no one's to see or talk to the victim so we can question him. All right. Please notify us at the local hotel the moment he regains consciousness. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you have the beginning of our mystery. We'll be back in just a moment to tell you more. But first, Ernest Chappell. Maybe you think you've got a tough job. Uh, but Mr. Willis C. Latchoff, Spring City, Pennsylvania, has a job that really puts the pressure on. Here's what he writes. I'm one of the guards in an important aircraft engine company. We've got to see that nothing and nobody gets into our plant who's not supposed to. Picture us on a 12-hour watch, every nerve tense, ready for anything that might happen, when up pops one of those pesky headaches. The boys on my shift know how to handle that, though. We make a beeline for the plant dispensary or first aid station for our old friend, Bromo Seltzer. We found there's nothing better for quick relief from headache and jittery nerves. And you're right, Mr. Willis. Bromo Seltzer fights headache three ways. Helps you feel a lot better fast. So the next time you've got a common sick headache, friends, try Bromo Seltzer, won't you? Then write and tell us your own experience. Just address your letter to Ellery Queen in care of the station to which you are listening. And now back to our story. Ellery has photographed the mysterious scarecrow man and had the photo developed. Now, several hours later, the queens are driving Josh Bullen back to the Mayfield farm. Henry, think someone in the Mayfield place carved that fellow up? I don't know, Dad. Keep your eyes open. Well, here we are. Whew. Isn't it hot? Man, what I'd give for a sidle of beer. Beer? I'll get Ma Mayfield to fix you the finest drink of ginger beer you ever tasted. Don't <laughs> find me! Oh, who's that crazy-looking old man on the porch? What's he waving that shotgun at us for? It's all right, Pa. I know these folks. Don't get scared. That's just my father. Uh, Mr. Mayfield, if you'll put that shotgun down... I know if you Jonathan Mayfield, it's not die, Johnny. Stand where you be. Pa, this ain't Jonathan. It's Mr. Queen. He's too, Jonathan Cox. You, boy, Mr. Cox, the fuck you did. Hey, the old squirrel ain't kidding. You won't get eh? He's going to shoot. Henry, Duck, come on. Get behind the car, all of you. All right, I warned you. He's shooting. Yeah. Hey, Pa, anyway. For heaven's sake, Mr. Bullen, who does he think I am? Who, who's Jonathan? My wife's brother. Old man Mayfield's son. Ma! Who's the shooter? Land of mercy, Paul. You give me that gun. Yeah, well, I'm going to shoot Jonathan Gay. You are going to march up to the attic to your room, Paul. Me. No, I'm not. I'm not. Oh, sorry. 
The old lady's okay. See the way she took that gun away from the old bazook? Sorry as all get out, folks. You see, Jonathan Mayfield got into a heap of trouble, and his pa said he'd kill him if he ever showed his face around the farm again. Old man's out of his head. Why don't you put him away for him? Ma won't hear of it, Inspector. Besides, Pa's quiet most time. Come on into the house. Ma, is that you? Yes, George. Well, Pa's all right now. Come in. Come on in. Thank you, Thank you. Uh, Ma, these folks are fretting for some of your extra special ginger beer. Josh, you take them into the parlor, and I'll be right in with a big pitcher. Just make yourselves right to home, folks. Now, this way, folks. Thank you. <laughs> what? Why, Josie. Josh? Oh, hello. Downstairs, Josie? Sitting in the parlor all by yourself. Folks, this is my wife, Josie Mayfield Bullock. I am, Mrs. Oh, I'm so glad. It's so very nice having you. Well, sit down. Sit down, folks. Yeah, Thank you. Yes, you will. My, Josie talks mighty fine, eh? Had two years of state college, Josie did. This girl is so pretty. Are you married? Why, why, no, I'm not. I am. I had a baby once. It was the cutest baby. She had blue eyes and the softest blonde hair. Now, now, Josie, you know we don't talk about the baby. Ma, where's that ginger beer? Come in, Josh, come in. Well, what's everybody so quiet for? Josie. Have you been talking about the baby again? It was a girl, Mom. Remember? Oh, this sweetest little girl. That's my excuse. Now, now, cheapers, inspector. Not all, not this girl here. Henry, show them that photo and that speech. Uh, come on, folks, now. Come on, try some of this. Oh, right. Just oh, like it, it Mayfield. Oh, by the this... way, uh, do you recognize the man in this photograph? Oh, this fella? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Nope, can't say as I do. Josie, drink. No, thanks, Mom. I was going to name my baby Mary Ellen, you know. Ellery, please. Let's go. We're talking folders now. Here's one of Jonathan, Josie's brother. Josh, you put that album away. Uh, please, may I see it, Mr. Bullen? Sure. Dad, come over here. Here, Miss. Can I give you some juice It's not the wounded man, Dad. Nope. No resemblance to the stranger at all. What do you say we go? No, Dad. We're staying in Derryville till I find out who that scarecrow man is and who tried to murder him. Finally, three days later, Dr. Jenkins said we could question a stranger. But when we went to the man's room at the hospital, we found that he'd escaped through a window. Was Ellery hopping? The scarecrow man gone, and we still didn't know who he was or who had tried to murder him. <laughs> Well, we hung around trying to find someone who recognized the scarecrow man from Ellery's picture of him, but no one knew him, so we gave up. Six months later, January it was, we got a letter from the Dairyville Justice of the Peace, an old fellow named Clem Hunter. Hunter confessed that he'd lied about not recognizing the stranger and he wanted to clear his conscience. He wrote us, You certainly won't find it out from anybody else, because me and the town clerk, who's dead, were the only ones who knew who this fellow was. If you'll come see me... I'll tell you the whole story. But two days before we got back to Derryville, old Clem Hunter up and kicked the bucket. Pneumonia. Boy, you should have seen the maestro. Our last hope of solving the mystery six feet under. But the maestro says, now that we're here, I'm not going back to New York without taking another whack at the Mayfield. Well, 
We drive over to the Mayfield farm and practically a blizzard. The roads were so bad, Mom Mayfield makes us stay overnight. Late that same afternoon, the storm subsided a bit, and Ellie and I went outside to find Josh Bullen hammering away at a thick pole driven into the frozen earth right off the porch. Hi, Mr. Bullen. What are you doing? <laughs> Making a snowman, Mr. Queen. A snowman? That's steady enough, I reckon. Now to pack more snow around. Oh, may I help, Mr. Bullen? Sure thing, Miss Porter. Pitch right in. Oh, by George, that looks like fun. Uh, move over, Nikki. I hurry, I ask first. <laughs> Uh, seeing this pole, Josh, stuck in the ground this way... Sort of reminds you of the fellow we found hanging in the cornfield last summer, don't you? Yes. Ever hear anything more about him after he escaped from the Derryville Hospital, Josh? Nary word. Say, this has come along fine. You make his head, Miss Porter. Oh, fine. Hope Josie likes him. She's watching from her bedroom window up there. Hi, Josie! Like it, Mrs. B? Oh, Josh, you love me. Well, wait, he ain't finished. He still needs eyes, nose, and a mouth. And a pipe, Josh. Stick a pipe in his mouth. Oh, how my baby would have loved you. Baby? She's still... Don't be no mind, folks. Sure, Josie. Pipe it is. Yes, who ever heard of a snowman without a pipe? A corn cob, Josh. Yeah, got to have a corn cob. Oh, blame it, I left my cob up in my bedroom this morning. Of course, Paul Mayfield's got a raft of them. Keeps all his cobs up in that attic room of his. But I guess we better not bother Paul... Might start shooting at you for Jonathan again, eh, Mr. Queen? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but gee, here's that other corn cob of mine, right here in my jeans. Forgot all about the second one. There, Josie, how's he look? Oh, he's a beautiful snowman with that pipe, Oh, hi, Inspector Sergeant. Look at this. Hey, that's some production. <laughs> a snowman. Uh, where's the maestro? Oh, what? It was right here a second ago. Here I am, Nicky. Oh. oh. Him and his movie, John. Yes, Sergeant. I remembered he was in the car. Going to take movies of this snowman, son? <laughs> Dad, you're a mind Iceberg, they call a bedroom. Come with a bit, son. See who it is. Uh, oh, must be ten below zero in here. Yes, who is it? Charlie, it's me. Nicky crying. It's oh, wait, Nicky. Oh, coming. I just saw it. Saw what, Nicky? Nicky, Annie. Why are you crying? I, I couldn't sleep. I got up and... And looked at my bedroom window at the snowman in the front yard and... <laughs> Nicky, stop. What did you see? The snowman. He's bleeding. That's noisy. You want to wake the others? Okay, Inspector. There. There you see? A red brown stain all over the snowman's chest. 
Hilary, what in thunderation do you think you're doing? Photographing a snowman, Dad. Uh, lucky this moonlight's so bright. Now, let's have a look. Well, if that ain't blood, real blood, I'll turn in my badge. Somebody's idea of a joke. Nicky, go back to bed. Oh, no. Hey, I... Go on, go on, Nicky. Uh, all right, Inspector. Joke, eh? Some joke. My straw. It's a dead man under this snowman. I thought so. Strapped with a pole by his belt? Yeah. Just like that scarecrow guy last summer. Two ugly stab wounds in his chest, son. I brushed the snow off him around his head, Sergeant. Yeah. Oh, it's the same guy. The man who escaped from the Dairyville Hospital. The Scarecrow Man. I isn't really back. He freeze as hard as this corpse in the front yard is. Again, all identification marks gone dratted. How long do you figure he's been dead? Well, I'd say since... Late last night, sir. Yes, about the time the snow stopped. We slept through the whole thing. Feely. Yeah, Roger? Mushing from Nome? Well, what'd you find out? Where's the single set of tracks leading up to the snowman come from? The Mayfield barn, Inspector. Blood in there. And signs of a fight. Murdered in the barn, huh? And the killer carried the dead man to this spot, knocked down Josh Bull and snowman, slung the corpse to the pole with his own belt, and rebuilt a snowman around it. Why do you suppose he did that now, my strong? To delay discovery of the crime, Sergeant, the killer was afraid of us. By the time the snow melted, we'd long since have left the neighborhood. It would have worked, too, if the dead man's blood hadn't soaked through the snow. Really, was there any clue in the barn to the killer? Uh, I looked my eyes out, Inspector. No dice. And these tracks don't tell us anything. The killer wore huge galoshes. Could have been anyone's. But aren't there any other tracks, really, to show where the killer came from or which way he went? Nary a track. Anywhere's on the Mayfield property. Dad. That means the victim came to the barn during the snowstorm, as did his murderer. Then more snow fell and wiped out all the tracks they'd made. So by the time the killer lugged his victim's body from the barn to the front yard here, all he left was this one set of tracks. Hey, wife, then where are the killer's tracks escaping from the yard here after he put the body in the snowman? There ain't no escaping tracks. Sergeant, you've hit it. The only place the killer could have escaped to without leaving further tracks in the snow is up onto the porch of the Mayfield farmhouse here. Say, yeah. He could have made it from the snowman to the porch in one big step. But, Henry, that means the killer is one of the people in this farmhouse. Yes, Dad. At last we know the stranger was murdered by one of the Mayfield tribe. So let's wake him up and find out which one. Well, we went to work on the Mayfields. We might just as well have saved our breath. They all claimed they didn't know a thing about the corpse and the snowman. So we turned the whole mess over to the local sheriff and headed for home. You don't like to remember, Ellery, the next few weeks. Here it is. Snap your head off for a look. Haul out his reels of movie film that he shot on our two trips to Dairyville and run them over and over. So anyway, one night, he was showing his shots of the bloodstained snowman when... Nicky, stop the machine. Sergeant, put the lights on. Yeah. Why the excitement, sir? Now, what cops? Now I know who killed that man. You, you know who killed him? But, maestro, we don't even know who he was. You mean the victim? Yeah. I've known that for some time. What? You have? Not his name, of course. But it wasn't the victim's identity which held me up. It was his killer's identity. And now you know that, too? But how can you, Ellery? All you've done is run the snowman movie. They're what told me, Nicky. Didn't you notice a difference between the Josh Bullen snowman and the snowman the killer built around the corpse? No. no. 
the snow at the base of the killer snowman had been shoveled up. Don't you see? After concealing the body inside the snowman, the killer then began poking in the snow at its feet with a shovel. He'd lost something in the snow and was looking for it. But what else? My films even answer that. There's an object in the shots of the original snowman that's missing from the shots of the made-over snowman. Something missing? What, Marshal? Josh Bullen's corncob pipe. Hey, that's right. When we found the made-over snowman with the corpse inside, the pipe wasn't there. Exactly. The killer dropped the pipe accidentally and shoveled frantically around trying to find it. He never did find it. Otherwise, he'd have stuck it back in the snowman's mouth. Yeah. So we'd think it was still the same snowman and not get suspicious and find the body. That's all very well, Mr. Queen. But what's the missing corn cob got to do with the killer of the stranger? The missing corn cob, Nicky, tells me who the killer was. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have the mystery of the scarecrow and the snowman. Have you puzzled it out yet? Well, let's compare solutions with our guest armchair detective. Nikki, will you introduce our guest, please? Well, Ellery, our first guest tonight is Miss Jean Cagney, the famous screen star and sister of Jimmy Cagney. Our second guest is Mr. Peter Cusack, executive secretary of the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis. All right, Ellery. Thank you, Nikki. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to take a moment here to remind you that the March of Dimes to Fight Infantile Paralysis is on right now. Won't you help protect America's children from this dread disease by sending your dimes and dollars, as much as you can afford, to President Roosevelt, Washington, D.C.? Thank you. And now, Miss Cagney, who is the murderer? I'd say it was Ma Mayfield. Have you any reason? Well, I would suspect that Ma Mayfield wouldn't have a second pipe on hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, I think she'd be strong enough to be able to commit the crime and to reconstruct the snowman. Thank you, Miss Cagney. And Mr. Cusack, who do you think the murderer is? I think the murderer was Josh, <clears throat> Josh Mayfield, Ellery. Oh, why do you think that? I don't know what his motive was, but the uh, the clue of the uh, missing corncob pipe... Uh, makes me feel that it was he because he referred to the fact that uh, that Pa Mayfield had this uh, collection and uh, Pa Mayfield being very fussy and irritable, I would think that Josh would not want to lose the pipe. You mean Josh Bourne, the husband of Josie Mayfield. Excuse yes. me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Cusack and Miss Cackney. We'll let you know in just a moment whether you've hit the solution to our mystery. But first, here's Ernest Chappell who can't seem to get his mind off sabotage. Well, and it is sabotage when a common sick headache makes you lose out on work or pleasure. You can't do a first-class job or enjoy your fun when you've got pounding head pains plus the upset stomach and jittery nerves that may accompany a common sick headache. And that's why I say the next time you're feeling miserable with a headache, step up to the nearest drugstore fountain and ask for a bromo seltzer. Now, ten cents is all it costs to try bromo seltzer. And once you experience the quick, effective relief it gives, you'll want to get a bottle for your home medicine chest. Harry, you said you knew who that dead stranger was. Well, Dad, remember your mentioning that we got a letter from the Derryville Justice of the Peace? Sam Hunter, who wrote saying that he knew who this stranger was? Yes. Now, what could a Justice of the Peace and a town clerk know that other members of a rural community might not know? Well, what do we usually associate with justices of the peace? Marriages. He performs. Yes. 
And marriages also involve a town clerk, who probably issues a license and certainly records the marriage in the town roll. So you figured the stranger had been married in Derryville years before. Right. But who else would know of the stranger's marriage? Only the Mayfields, because the killer is one of them. So we must ask, what woman at the Mayfield farm was of marriageable age? Only one, Josie the daughter. Josie's married to Josh Bullen. Conclusion, Josie and the stranger have been married before Josie's marriage to Josh Bullen. A secret marriage, because no one in Derryville was able to recognize the stranger from that photo I took of him at the hospital last summer. So it was reasonable to conclude that one of the Mayfield tribe had killed the stranger to keep his secret marriage to Josie from becoming public knowledge. Josie and the stranger elope or something. Old man Mayfield finds out and either drives the man away or buys him off. Must have been something pretty raw about the man that the Mayfields couldn't stomach. So when they thought Josie's husband would never turn up again, Josie never bothered to get a divorce. Then when Josie married Josh Bullen, she committed bigamy. Yes. Well, the husband did turn up again last July. Probably with demand for more money, which the Mayfields couldn't or wouldn't meet. So one of the family stabbed him early that Sunday morning and hid the body in the cornfield scarecrow till it could be disposed of permanently at nightfall. But we came along during the day, found the stranger still alive, took him to the hospital, and he escaped. And the one who knew Josie's bigamous secret was loose again. Then why did he come back in January? We'll, we'll never know exactly, Sergeant. Anyway... The same Mayfield murdered him for keeps this time and hid the body in the snowman so that we'd fail to discover the crime and leave. But who is the killer, son? How do you know? The missing corncob pipe tells me, Dad. The corncob pipe? We know the killer wanted a corncob and hadn't located the one he'd lost in the deep snow because if he had found it, he'd have stuck it back in the snowman's mouth, and he didn't. But that fact clears Josh Bullen and old Pa Mayfield. Here's Bullen and his father-in-law? How so, son? Because either man could easily have got another corncob to stick into the snowman's mouth, Dad. How do you figure that out, Ellen? Well, we know that Josh Bullen had a second corncob up in his bedroom. And we also know that Pa Mayfield kept his corncobs in his attic room. Either man could have procured a corncob to replace the lost one merely by stealing up to his own room in the middle of the night while the rest of us were asleep. Since the killer didn't replace the lost pipe, it means he didn't have one to replace it with and couldn't get another from his own room. But, Maestro, that leaves only... The two women of the house. Precisely. Could the murderer have been Josie, Josh's wife? No. It was a man-sized job to carry the dead body from the barn to the front yard, demolish the original snowman, tie the corpse to the pole, and build a new snowman around it. Josie is an invalid, bedridden most of the time. So Josie couldn't possibly have done it. The old lady. Yes, Sergeant. Ma Mayfield. Did Ma Mayfield have the strength to commit both these strenuous crimes? Oh, yes. Josh told us she even helped with the farming. In fact, Josh said she was as strong as a plow mare. Yes, Ma Mayfield killed her daughter's husband to protect Josie's reputation in that rural community and save what was left of the poor girl's life. <laughs> the solution to the mystery. I want to thank Miss Cagney and Mr. Cusack for appearing as guest armchair detectives this evening. We want especially to compliment Miss Cagney on her skill in solving the crime. We have for both Miss Cagney and Mr. Cusack a personal gift from Bromo Seltzer, also an autographed copy of my latest mystery anthology, The Female of the Species, and a subscription to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. While we're waiting for Ellery to tell us something about next week's mystery... Come on there, swing aboard our famous talking train. Bye, Daddy!
Now, you couldn't ask for better advice than that. Fight headache three ways with Bromo Seltzer. Your own experience will tell you it isn't always just the pounding in your head that makes you feel so miserable. It's also the upset stomach and the jumpy nerves that may accompany the headache. And that's why we say, for that kind of three-way misery, take a Bromo Seltzer. Remember, it fights common sick headache these three ways. Bromo Seltzer quickly relieves headache pain. Bromo Seltzer helps settle upset stomach. Bromo Seltzer helps calm jumpy nerves. Now, you can take Bromo Seltzer while it's still fizzing or after it settles down. Use it only as directed on the label. For persistent or recurring headaches, see your doctor. But when it's a common sick headache that's got you down, take this tip from our educated train. And now, Ellery, let's hear about next week. Well, ladies and gentlemen, next week we tell you a ghost story. Yes, a ghost story with a real ghost that seems immune to bullets. Don't miss next week, Adventure of the Family Ghost. Our guests will be Martha Scott and Mark Conway. And don't forget the other great Romo Seltzer show friends, Vox Pop, the show that travels America. Next Monday, Vox Pop takes you to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company at New Haven, Connecticut. Consult your local paper for the time and station. Music for the Adventures of Ellery Queen is by Charles Paul. This is Ernest Chappell reminding you to catch the Bromo Seltzer special again next week. Same time, same station. This is the National Broadcasting Company. The Adventures of Ellery Queen. Tonight we bring you another thrilling adventure of Ellery Queen, the celebrated fighter of crime. Representing you home armchair detectives is world-famous personality Gypsy Rose Lee. You'll hear from her later. But now, here's your host, Ellery Queen. Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In tonight's case, my secretary, Nikki Porter, finds herself hunted by the police. She is wanted for murder. I call it the adventure of Nikki Porter, Suspect. attention of Inspector Queen of the New York Police. No, just a thing. Aren't you up pretty early, sir? Early? I overslept. I was supposed to meet this train. Somebody you know coming in? Nikki Porter. She's been visiting her family, and now I've missed her. All the passengers are out. Yeah, not all, Ellery. Here. Down here. For the train? Huh. What happened here, anyway? Oh, guy just down here with half his head blown off. He's in a compartment. Six slugs in his head. Who was he, Dad? 
Ernie Buffle, Midwest bank robber. Gun taken away, I suppose? Hmm. But well, we found these three $1,000 bills, Ellery, on the floor of this compartment. Let me see those bills, Dan. Sure. Yeah, I thought so. Look at these serial numbers. These $1,000 bills are part of the money. Yeah, stolen from the second commercial bank of Chicago night before last. Correct. So it was Buffalo pulled that bank job, huh? On the line with his loot. How much did he get away with that? $258,000. Wow. That leaves only $255,000 we've still got to recover. Yep, looks like it. Is this Buffalo's compartment, C in car 103? No, this compartment was occupied by a lady. The porter noticed her get off before he and the conductor found Buffalo's body. Buffalo had a lower in the next car. A woman, huh? Young? Mm-hmm. About five foot three and in her twenties and pretty. Red hair, wore a muskrat coat, carried a dark blue suitcase, and the compartment is full of her fingerprints. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't touch that compact, Ellery. Oh. The compact belonged to to the girl, Dad? <laughs> yes, sir. Well, it's easy enough to figure. With this compact of hers, her prints, the description we've got. It's only a matter of time, Ellery. Yeah. Uh, where are you going? Well, you... You don't need me in on this, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> going to Nikki's place to take your medicine for missing her, huh? Nikki. Nikki, wake up. Mm-hmm. Nikki. Nikki, it's Ellery. Ellery? Nikki, listen to me. Nikki, will you listen to me? I was in Kansas City. Nikki, you left Kansas City. You wired me yesterday from Chicago that you'd arrive in New York at 8.30 this morning. The train? Were you in a compartment, Nikki? Tell me. Compartment? Car 103, compartment C? Yes. Oh, I see. I'm so sick. I ate. Well, Ellery, what happened? Don't you know, Nikki? I, I can't seem to remember anything. Well, don't you remember leaving the train? No. Oh, oh look at me. Oh, dearly. You were in a, uh, a struggle of some sort, Nikki. Struggle? You suffered a violent physical as well as nervous shock. It brought on a temporary amnesia, Nikki. Struggle? That, that man? Then you're beginning to remember when did you first see this man, Buffle? Buffle? Yeah, the, the man with the broken nose, Nicky. He's a criminal wanted for bank robbery. Bank robber? So that's why he... Nicky, he's lying on the floor of that compartment dead. Shot to death. You left your compact there. Your fingerprints are all over the place. Nicky, you're in a jam, so talk, will you? I killed him. I killed him! Oh, Nicky, how did you kill him? Nicky... Any minute now, Dad will realize that the compact, the prints, the description all add up to you. He may be on his way here now. Will you tell me what happened before he gets here? All right, Ellery. The train had stopped at 125th Street. Then it started again. I'd already packed my suitcase and I was about to close it when my door opened and... Is that the porter? I'll have my bag ready in a moment. What what do you want? Don't call for help and don't yell. Who, who's yelling? And don't shut that suitcase. Would you mind uh, waving that gun elsewhere? Do what I say and you won't get hurt. See this package? 
package? Put it in your suitcase. You're giving me something? Put it in your suitcase. Well, now what do I do? Write you a thank you note? Close it up. Close the back. Uh-huh. Now get this. In five minutes we'll be in New York. You'll carry your suitcase off the train yourself. Don't give it to a red cap, understand? Walk up to the check room at the west end of the station and check the bag. I'll be right behind you. Suppose somebody I know is meeting the train. Ditch him. When you get the baggage check, go to the nearest cigar stand and buy a packet of cigarettes. Leave the check on the counter, careless, like you dropped it. And go on about your business. And uh, you'll pick it up. That's the idea, baby. Oh, well, there's not very much I can do, is there? Smart gal. Why, we're, we're in the tunnel. I'm actually shaking. <laughs> do, do you have a cigarette? Yeah, sure. It's uh, very kind of you to look through your pocket for one, because it gives me a chance to grab your gun. Why, you... You... Okay. Leave the sucker out of me, will you? Get up off that floor. We're almost in. Get up or I... Yes? Go on, Nicky. All I know is I was reaching for the gun as he was bending over me. That's the last clear recollection I have, Ellery. That and the shots. All in his head. All at close range. I, I see I brought the suitcase home. Is the package in it, Ellery? No, it isn't, Nicky. It isn't? But there's no question what it contained. The $258,000 Buffalo stole from the Chicago bank night before last. I wonder what I did with it. $3,000 of it was found on the floor of the compartment. And, Nikki. What now? I just found this in the pocket of your fur coat. A gun? All six shots fired. I'm afraid, Nikki, this was the gun that killed Buffalo. His own gun. Oh, Ellery. Can't you remember anything? What you might have done with the rest of the money? Or... I only could before the inspector and... Hillary? The door. The police. The police after me. Now, look. You're to tell Dad the truth. Meanwhile, I'll be backtracking, trying to find the money. Don't give up, understand? Just hang on. All right, Hillary. That's the stuff. I'm coming. Coming, Dad. I'll come right in. Go. Drop the rod. Hillary? You heard him, Mark. Drop the rod. Sure. It's not loaded anyway. I got it, Rita. Yeah, it's Ernie's gun, all right. That was a good hunch, Frank. Following this guy from the station. Jill, shut the door. Ellery, I don't understand. Who are they? You followed me here from Grand Central? Yeah. We're three friends of Ernie Buffalo's. We came in on the same train from Chicago. We hung around the station when Ernie didn't get off the train. You, the baby doll, come here. Me? What, what do you want? I spotted you on the train. You were in that compartment. 
How'd you get Ernie in there? Huh? I didn't. He you knocked off my Ernie. Ricky, let him go. Time up. Yeah. Stand will you? Uh, Baby doll, before I go to work on you, tell me, what did you do with the dough? I don't know. I don't know. You're lying. Can't you see she's telling the truth? Steady, pal. Ain't quite finished time yet. Girlfriend, I'm going to give you one more chance. Just tell us where you hid that dough from the bank. Okay. Stop it. Can't you see she's fainted? Nuts. Think? You sure it ain't here? It ain't in the room. It ain't on either of them. Darn. Wake up. Wait a minute. Look. I'm Ellery Queen. The detective? And this is my secretary, Nikki Porter. I give you my word, Nikki doesn't know where that money is. Amnesia. She can't remember a thing since she left that compartment. What do we do, Rita? Oh, let's knock out these two and blow. We'll find a door ourselves. Where, Frank? But you just gave me an idea, Mr. Queen. You got quite a rip. You're pretty good at finding out stuff. Okay. You find that dough for us. Wait a minute, you nuts. Get up for it. How's it figure, Rita? Why, I do he'll find the dough for us because we're going to be keeping this doll of his company in a nice, safe place. Get it, Mr. Queen? I get it. If you don't, Nikki gets what she gave Ernie Buffle. But slower. I'm thoroughly convinced, Rita. And you don't get all the time in the world. Twelve hours, Queen. That's all. I understand, Frank. How do I get in touch with you? You'll get a phone call at midnight tonight. Cops! Rita, let's scram. Grab the doll, Juke. Carry it to the car. Come on, baby. Out the way. Frank, you cover it. Juke, step on it. Oh, she ain't no pretty girl. Not the best way, Juke. Come on, Frank. I'm coming. But before I go, Mr. Queen, I'm going to give you something to remember us by. So you'll know we're not kidding. I wish my hands were free. Get away. So here's the midnight. <laughs> and there, ladies and gentlemen, you have the first part of our mystery. You'll hear more shortly. Midnight. No, sir. No call yet. But I wouldn't get back in time. How's your head, sir? Oh, never mind my head. Now, listen, I found the cab driver who drove Nicky from the station. Uh, just a minute, sir. Dad, what's the matter? Just 30 seconds ago, look what I found in the suit you were wearing this morning. Huh? Oh, Dad. It's a $1,000 bill. One of the missing bills from Buffalo's Hall. Where did you get it, Ellery? Oh, don't act the inspector with me, Dad. I found it in the pocket of Nicky's fur coat, along with Buffalo's gun. I didn't even tell Nicky about it. I thought you said Buffalo's pals searched you. They did, but I pawned the bill. And after they got through frisking me, I simply put the bill in my pocket. Now, listen. It all adds up I to... I know what it adds up to, Ellery. Once we get Nicky back, I'll do what I can for her, but... Yeah, Sure. Where's that call? No, what were you going to tell me? Oh, never mind. What's this, Dad? Uh, 
The autopsy report on Buffalo. Hmm. Very interesting. What's interesting about... The call. I'll get it. Ellery Queen speaking. Well? How's Nikki? Stop stalling. She's okay. So far. Did you find out where the dough is? Yes. Where is it? I'll tell you when I see you, Frank. You and Jupe and Rita. Oh. Will you have the dough with you? No, but I'll tell you where you can find it. Where do I meet you? Suit yourself, Frank. Goodbye. Oh, wait a minute. Don't you care about the day? If you won't let me see her, obviously it's too late. Okay. Tell me where to drive. Pick me up at... First Avenue on 96th. Here he is, Duke. Inside. Everything okay, Frank? Sure, Duke. No cops hiding in his car. Nobody tells us. I'll guarantee it. Where's Nikki? Not so fast. Rita, I didn't see you there. Where's Nikki Porter? Where's the dough? No, Nikki. No talk. <laughs> In here. Nikki. Hillary. Hi. Hi yourself. You all right? They've handled me like a piece of china all day. Oh, Ellery, I'm so glad. Well, Dirk. So here she is, Queen, still in one chunk. Now, where did she hide the dough? She didn't. What? Huh? what are you talking about? I was able to trace your movements, Nikki. You carried your suitcase right from the train to a station cab. You spoke to no one. No one came near you. You gave the cab driver your home address. He drove you right there. You got out, and your landlady saw you come in and go to your room. You didn't drop anything. You didn't leave anything in the cab. The bulk of that stolen money wasn't found in your room because you never brought it there. You never took it from the train, Nikki. Then... Someone else did. Someone else did. Uh, Malaki. Next thing we know, you'll be telling her she didn't bop off any buffle. She didn't. She Bob didn't. Her. I... I didn't, Ellery. No, Nikki. I just saw the autopsy report. I didn't kill him. At the time of the shots, you were on the floor, and Buffle was coming at you, leaning over you. The autopsy report shows that all six bullets struck Buffle's head at the top and at the back. Only someone higher than Buffalo could have fired those shots. Someone else that sneaked into the compartment? Yes, Rita. Now, it's perfectly clear, isn't it? You were all in on that Chicago robbery with Buffalo. You all came in on the same train, Buffalo carrying the money. At the last moment, Buffalo decided to double-cross the rest of you. He got into Nikki's compartment and tried to get her to carry the money off the train for him so he could recover her suitcase later and have the whole haul for himself. Ernie, double-crossed us? Yes, Rita. What's more, one of you was afraid of just that and followed Buffle. And stood outside Nikki's compartment and heard the whole thing. That one entered the compartment, shot Buffle with his own gun, framed Nikki for the murder, and walked off the train carrying the money, saying nothing to the other two of you. Not only was Buffle a double-crosser, one of you three is a double-crosser, too. Where's that 254 grand, Rita? I didn't take it, Duke. Oh, I wouldn't have killed Ernie. Not Ernie. Frank, don't put the finger on me, Jupe. You got nothing on me. Maybe you did it yourself. Yeah, it's one of you two. I didn't swear on that bank job to get cheated out of mine. Neither did I. Hold it. I'll put the finger on the one who killed Buffle today and hid that money if the other two of you promise to let Nicky Porter and me walk out of here unharmed when I've done so. Sure. 
Okay. Don't promise. No, no, that's too easy. Um, suppose you all put your guns on the table first as a guarantee of good faith. Then I've got as good a chance as any of you to grab just in case you, uh, you know, forget your promise. Here's mine. Duke? Okay. Come on, Frank. I got a clear conscience. One of us is a cockeyed liar. Okay, Queen, talk. Who killed Ernie? And there, ladies and gentlemen, you have the mystery. Nikki, would you introduce our guest, armchair detective? No, sir. Nikki's still a little shaky, so I'm going to help out while Nikki rests. <laughs> Dad, is that the real reason you want to be in on this interview? Why, of course, Ellery. <laughs> well, anyway, it's a very great pleasure to introduce our guest for tonight, that world-famous personality currently appearing at the Palladium Theater in Sydney, Miss Tipsy Rose Lee. Well, welcome to the show, Miss Lee. Well, thank you, Ellery. And thank you, Inspector. Yeah. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, Ellery, you're much more fortunate than I am. You have your wonderful father to help you solve your solutions. <laughs> yes, Miss Lee, I am. I'm very fortunate. However, before we proceed with your solution to the mystery, we'd all like to meet you personally. Yes, indeed. Well, you've certainly been a smash hit at the Sydney Palladium. Are you visiting any other Australian cities, Miss Lee? Oh, I wish I were, but I'm going to have to get on back home, I'm afraid. Although we'd like to play Adelaide, Melbourne, and particularly Perth. Uh-huh. I love to see Perth. People have told me it's so beautiful. Well, then, we'd... Uh, we'd... Uh, Miss Lee, how do you like the audiences here? Oh, I think they're just simply wonderful. I think you're pretty cute, too. You know that? Well, uh, yeah, well, that's really... Uh, quite... Miss Lee, of course, you're a well-known mystery writer yourself, too, aren't you? I mean, I've read your mysteries. Uh, Mother Finds the Body and the Striptease Murder. Oh, they're wonderful. Well, thank you, honey. Actually, you know, at home, the Striptease Murders wasn't called that at all. It was called the G-String Murders. Oh. But they figured that in Australia, they wouldn't know what a G-string is, so they'd probably think it was something to do with a violin. <laughs> so they played yes. it to strip tease murder. I see. Well, you're, you're quite a... Yes, I think that's marvelous, Miss Lee. And, uh, and do you have any particular hobbies outside the theater and uh, writing? Well, yes, I have. Um, what is your favorite hobby? Well, uh... I could sort of match it, maybe, and we could compare hobbies. Indoors or outdoors? Well, wherever you like. I like to collect stamps. Yes, yes, yes. Philately is one of my <laughs> hobbies. In fact, I'm thinking of taking it up full-time, aren't I, Ellery? Uh, what yeah. I thought you just said the day, and I, I guess said... so, Dad. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, thank you very much, Miss Lee, but I think it's about time we got to our problem. I'll do it, Ellery. Oh, I'll do it. Okay, now, Miss Lee, who killed Buffle and hid the money? Oh, dear. I'm not really sure, you know. But I have a very sneaking hunch that Rita might have done it. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Just on general principles, that is. I don't have any evidence against her, not even circumstantial evidence. But I don't like her personally. I see. And, of course, I do think that whoever got rid of Buffalo was doing an awfully good deed anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, Miss Lee. And in just a moment, we'll learn if your solution is the correct one. I'm on your side, Miss Lee. If there's anything I can do, you can be sure that I...
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.